Emergency on the Ski Lift by Per Ola and Emily Dolaire. The child dangled precariously, 10 metres in the air, slowly slipping from her mother's grasp. After a full day of classes, 18-year-old Sean Durrant was briefly tempted to flop down in front of the TV instead of going to work. He was a ski lift operator at Nordic Valley Ski Area in Utah's Wasatch Mountains, and he just didn't feel like facing the bitter cold on his 5 to 10 p.m. shift. But Sean, who had worked after school since he was 15, knew he couldn't let his employer down. He pulled on his parka, jumped into his truck and headed for the mountains. When he reported to the office on January 29 last year, he and another employee, 27-year-old Phil Ford, were assigned to the chairlift on the beginner's slope. Sean felt uneasy. Phil was new at the job and Sean had worked the post only a few times. A routine safety inspection reassured Sean that all was in order. He punched the button to start the lift and he and Phil began loading skiers. With the temperatures below freezing and a stiff wind blowing, Sean knew he and Phil would have to take turns warming up inside the operator's hut. Phil took over the lift controls while Sean headed for the lodge to get the hut's keys. That was when he heard the cry. He thought it was a skier, whooping in exuberance, but the lift had just opened. No one would have had a chance to ski down yet. He heard the sound again. It was a scream. Sean spun around and froze. Dangling by one arm from a moving ski lift chair was the figure of a child. A woman on the swaying seat was struggling to hold onto her with one hand while gripping the chair with the other. Oh my God, Sean thought. She'll be killed. The chair was swiftly advancing up the mountain, heading for the first nine-metre-high lift tower. When the cable bumped over the tower pulleys, the dangling girl would surely be shaken from the woman's grip. Stop the lift, Sean yelled. Phil immediately hit the emergency shutdown button and the cable groaned to a halt. Help me, mummy, cried the child as Sean sprinted up the hill. Swinging three stories above the hard-packed snow, 34-year-old Chris Bailey clung fiercely to the parka sleeve of her five-year-old daughter, Angela. As they'd skied onto the lift, the seat had bumped the girl from behind, knocking her off balance. Chris had tried and failed to pull her daughter aboard. Now she was struggling to hang on to Angie with one hand without letting her daughter's weight pull her out of the chair. Again and again she tried to lift Angie up, but the girl hung like lead. Kevin! Chris shouted to her husband, who was in a chair ten metres ahead. I can't hold her for long! Kevin could see the tears running down Angie's cheeks, but he was totally powerless to help his child. Hang on, Chris, he called, his calm voice belying his fear. You've got to hang on! Sean's mind raced, looking up at the undersides of Angie's skis as she swayed above him. He realised there was no way he could break her fall safely. He could not back the chair down. Automatic safety brakes kept it from reversing. The ski patrol, equipped with rescue gear and lift evacuation devices, was too far away. The other skiers appeared frozen in horror, their eyes fixed on the girl in the green parker high above. No one knew what to do. It's up to me, Sean thought. I've got to act. 
Then he remembered the maintenance ladders that were welded to the side of each lift tower. Run the chair up to the first tower and stop it there, he shouted to Phil. When the chair started up again, Chris felt Angie slip several centimetres. The girl's parka was coming apart at the zipper. In moments, Chris knew she'd be holding an empty jacket. Grab Mummy's leg, she cried. Angie tried, but was slumped too far in her coat to move. Chris released her hold on the armrest for a moment and grabbed the straps on the back of Angie's bibbed ski pants. But as she pulled, one strap tore loose. Frantically, she switched to her original hold on the sleeve. People lift cars in emergencies, Chris told herself. Why can't I lift my child? It seemed that saving Angie was beyond her strength. Stop it there, Sean yelled to Phil as Chris's chair pulled even with the tower. But 1,200 metres of cable and chairs do not stop on a specified spot. Though Phil hit the shut-off button immediately, momentum carried the chair beyond the tower. Sean leapt for the maintenance ladder and began scrambling up two rungs at a time. Chris screamed that Angie's coat had ripped. Hang on, ma'am, he called. His voice was shaking and he knew why. He was deathly afraid of heights. As the wind swirled around him at the top of the ladder, a scene flooded his mind. He was on a summer construction job, walking along a beam, shaking, almost falling. Sean pushed the picture away. He didn't let himself look down. He didn't even think down. Nothing was going to stop him from getting to that girl. He clambered onto the 25-centimetre-wide crossbeam and stretched his arms out for balance. Like a tightrope walker, Sean carefully placed one foot in front of the other, his rubber boots kicking snow from the slippery beam with every step. At the beam's end, Sean faced a 1.8-metre gap between him and the child. What am I going to do? Then he heard Kevin shout to Chris, He's coming! He'll have Angie soon! To Sean, the words were like a shot of adrenaline. They're putting their whole trust in me. I've got to deliver. Pulse pounding in his ears, he crouched on the tip of the beam and wrapped his gloved fingers round the cable. His head swam as he glimpsed the ground far below. But he ignored the fear welling in his gut and kicked off the beam. Now he swung in mid-air, clutching the thick, greased cable. He slid his arms along the cable towards Angie and Chris. It was a feat of strength few people could accomplish, but Sean, only 175 centimetres and 68 kilos, had been lifting weights. He'd never imagined, though, that the lives of other people might depend on his muscle. Sean moved as smoothly as possible so he wouldn't shake the chair. When he reached mother and daughter, he carefully planted his feet on the back of the seat and grabbed the metal pole that hooked it to the cable. Chris was holding the last fraying strap of her daughter's ski pants. Hurry, it's ripping, Chris pleaded. Sean glided down the pole and dropped into the seat. In almost the same motion, he grabbed Angie's free arm, telling Chris, we'll have to pull together. He leaned far out and then commanded, now! As if they had rehearsed it, he and Chris pulled simultaneously out and up and Angela rose smoothly into the seat. In the chair ahead, Kevin dropped his head and wept. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the courage of that young man. With Angela securely between Sean and Chris, they rode to the top of the lift. Chris reached over and hugged Sean. 
Thank you, thank you, she whispered. News of Sean's deed spread quickly through his hometown. The mayor presented him with a commendation for caring for the life of a child enough to put your own life in jeopardy. He received plaques for courage and selfless service. One Sunday after the incident, Chris Bailey recounted the story of Angie's rescue at her church. There are doers and watchers in this world, she said. We owe our daughter's life to the fact that Sean Durrant is a doer. Though Sean shrugged off the praise, explaining that he had only done his job, he was convinced of something new. If you set your mind on something, there's nothing you can't accomplish. Before the rescue, he had planned to be a machinist. But I always dreamed of becoming an airline pilot, he says. Now I'd like to go to university and follow that dream. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.